What has the farm to do with the city? How do they relate to one another? Hi, I'm Tom Walker, and you're listening to World Outspoken Feature. More often than not, the city is a parasite of the rural region beyond its limits. It attracts and often keeps young talent born in small towns. It demands increased development to house commuting workers and their families, absorbing acres of farmland to that end. The city continues to leach from the land around it. When the local region reaches its limits, the city makes use of the global economy to continue to sustain its life. According to the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, CMAP, Illinois residents spend $48 billion on food annually, but roughly $46 billion of that is spent on imported food. At the time of CMAP's original report, food consumed in Chicago traveled an average of 1,500 miles to get from farm to plate. The habits of Chicago and cities like it have become increasingly violent towards the landscape. Whether we realize it or not, our choices about the food we buy and consume supports a system that affects everything from water shortages to insect population and climate change. Jennifer Allen Craft, in her book, Placemaking in the Arts, presents this challenging thought. How we imagine and use the land and its resources is a moral and religious concern as much as it is a practical one. We need a new way of thinking about food, farming, and the city. Radical Root is one of a few community-supported agricultural farms, CSAs, surrounding the city of Chicago. Allison, a mother of two, and co-owner of the farm along with her husband Alex, writes, Instead of simply being careful not to harm the environment, we want to farm in a way that benefits and contributes to the earth and our communities. This feature is a conversation with Allison about the food industry, CSAs, and their call to make a system that connects the farm to the city in new ways. They graciously received the World Outspoken team to their home and gave us a tour of the farm. Welcome to the World Outspoken feature. My name is Emmanuel Padilla and I'm here with Allison Parker, one of the two founders and owners of Radical Root Farm. We're here today to talk about Radical Root and what they do. You're the first organic farm in Libertyville, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, Allison, why don't you give us an introduction, tell us who you are, where you're from, and then we'll talk more about what you do. Sure. Um, so yeah, my name's Allison Parker. My husband is Alex Needham, and together we started Radical Root Farm. And we started, this is our 10th year as a business, and before that we were working on different organic farms in the area, but also other places in the country and uh, outside of the country too actually. But we were really interested when we first started out in food issues and related to especially environmental issues and food justice and food access. We were really just interested in like all these, and health issues too. So all these issues related to food. We were just kind of, I started getting really interested in and Alex um, kind of hopped on board with me as well. So. Our mission has just always been like the health of people and the health of the environment and 
trying to bring healthy food to a community. All right. And now, as I understand it, you are first-generation farmers. And so talk to me about why you decided, I want to be a farmer. I know you did an undergraduate degree in environmental literature, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that that wasn't directly related to farming, but talk to me about how you went from caring about the environment to deciding, all right, I really want to commit to this and be a farmer. So yeah, I knew that I definitely wanted to do something environmental. Like that was something that I could just see as a problem everywhere. It was just, you know, all these environmental issues that, that I definitely wanted to be a part of creating a better a solution to something. So, so in college, actually, I had joined a, an, sort of an environmental activist group called Earth First. And I remember in meetings, they talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different issues. But one of the things they talked about were food issues and growing your own food. Like that was like one of their big missions was to, um, yeah, like have more food being grown and, and especially in an environmental mm-hmm. organic way. So I got, that was sort of like my first inclination to, to do something with food. And um, I started volunteering on this organic farm nearby campus and just got really interested in what the farmers were doing there. Like the, they, were, they were doing different permaculture practices actually back then, which, which I was just really interested in just sort of like working with nature and sort of like, you know, creating habitat and doing all these things like alongside farming and just got really interested in how can we contribute to the environment how can we contribute to society rather than just like pulling away from it and Mm -hmm. you know just sucking up resources how can I actually make things better so that's always been kind of like our sort of mission here as a farmer is to say how can we how can we make things better rather than just yeah take it away how can you contribute both to the environment and to society without simply consuming right exactly yes that's and that's something we always are teaching our boys is how can we be producers rather than just consumers Uh, why radical root well so i came up with the name um because i really i knew i wanted to have something with root in it because i really like the idea of just like things start at the root so and that even i mean in like all aspects of the world so um you know specifically like environmentally things start at the root with you know we do a lot with trace minerals and cover crop and sort of closed loop system farming with our manure so that the the root is kind of like where it draws up the nutrients and makes it the healthiest plant it can possibly be so yeah so the roots are really important and it kind of all starts the roots and then the radical root i think i just i wanted to i really wanted to steer us toward being a permaculture farm ultimately so that's something that we've kind of uh, every year we've gotten better at um, implementing more of that but really becoming this really sustainable, regenerative farm. So not just being an organic farm, meaning in like a shallow term of uh, use of the term, meaning that we just don't use chemicals and that's it. I really wanted to delve deeper into that to actually do things, you know, build the soil, build, you know, even things with, like I mentioned, climate change, doing more with like carbon sequestration, doing more just for like our surrounding area and not just growing organic food, but growing food that is so nutrient dense that 
it supplements our bodies with all these things that we need in order to fight or combat these chronic diseases that we could easily avoid if we just ate the nutrition that we needed to eat. So, yeah, so yeah. it started in school. Yes. And developed, and in 2006, you started at the Farm Business Development Center. Is that right? Right, right. So Liberty Prairie Foundation is a foundation that's super close to here. So it's about three miles away. And yeah, as first-generation farmers, when the, the problem is when you're a first-generation farmer is that you don't really have any family members to kind of help you know, with like land access. I mean, we, you know, a lot of, we, we've met farmers that they're farming their family's land that's been in their family forever. So we didn't have anything like that. So in order to, for a first generation farmer, uh, they need help with some, and especially with us, we just didn't have very much money and we just didn't know how to even begin to even start a business. So, so their mission at Liberty Prairie Foundation is to really help farmers start up a business. So they give you really a very, very affordable land you can rent and then you can rent their tractors and you can rent their greenhouse space. And so their, their mission is really help you start that business and help it kind of fly off the ground. So, so they're the ones that actually, after our five, they want you to stay about five years. And after our five years were up, we still didn't have savings that we could, you know, purchase land at that point. So they actually connected us with this property and, and making it so we can have like a long-term lease, um, so we can have like more stability here. We were able to pr- plant perennials. You know, we were able to actually have like more permanent projects that we couldn't do on our rented land because you don't want to plant a bunch of perennials and just leave. So, so here we're able to plant you know asparagus and things that are here for like 20 years. Why is it so important that we preserve land and that we use yeah. it for this purpose specifically? Right. So. One reason this farm was saved was that they they really wanted it to continue to be a farm because they don't want it to be developed. Cause a lot of land around here has been developed. A lot of farmland has. Um, and they really wanted it to be organic because of the pro- to protect like the natural areas around it, basically. And there's a stream down there. They really wanted to protect the aquatic life. And they really wanted food, actual food, to be grown here. So the farmland that you see is mostly is corn and soybean. That's the f- main crop that's in the farm, on farmland in this area, um, and across the Midwest. And the problem with that is that it's, first of all, it's a very unsustainable way to grow because they're not organic farms. They're heavily sprayed farms. They're just depleting their soils and it's not a sustainable way of farming because those soils are going to not, are going to, and we're already seeing, I mean, they're already seeing problems, but that's why Monsanto's created these, like, keeps having to create new weed killers because they've become resistant because they're not taking care of their soils. So it's just not a sustainable way for the soil to, to be um, cultivated. And they're also not growing actual food on it. I mean, the corn and soybean doesn't even, I mean, it's, it's being grown for factory farm animals, basically, which, which isn't a healthy meat to begin with. And it's, it's not even good for like all the animals that they're feeding it to. So it's, it's just a world of problems. And so it's a very, um, a very non-sustainable way of farming. And so people will sometimes ask, I think there's like this big debate all the time that you know, our articles are written, well, can organic really save the world? How's it possible? Because the world is so populated now and uh, we have to grow this, you know, industrial way. And, and 
my argument would be, well, one of them is that it's, it's so unsustainable that it's not even going to work for much longer. So, so really we have to think of, and especially with climate change, how it's been, I mean, we're seeing just the last 10 years, we've seen a difference in climate change and just, you know, really needing to change the way we farm or, you know, we, we're pretty holistic with the way we farm, but I think we need to even be more because of the different climate change patterns that we've been experiencing here. It sounds like you're saying that there is a, the industrial option is a short-term, kind of a nearsighted approach to right. addressing the problem. It's all about efficiency and right. speed and getting things, getting yeah. more out of a smaller space. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And like just even the way it's, you know, the whole idea of these industrial farms is that they're not working with nature. They're actually trying to like conquer it. They're trying to destroy it. I mean, they're trying to just control it and... And that doesn't work for very long because it's not going to, it's not going to last. So, so really we have to, you know, I mean, that's why the science of the soil is so important. It's like we have to be able to work with it, understand it, and just be able to, you know, build on that. So. Yeah, it sounds like we, we need to create a relationship with the land around us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In his now famous article, The Historical Roots of Our Ecological Crisis, American historian Lynn White Jr. argues, as summarized by Alan Kraft, that Christian theology should be held culpable for much of the ecological disaster brought forth on the planet. We carry, he says, a huge burden of guilt, due in large part to our anthropocentric reading of scripture and nature, our demythologizing of the natural world, and most importantly, the notion of human dominion over everything else God has made. The modern culture of dominion, in other words, has largely been one of power that originates in the notion of humans not as caretakers, but as overtakers of the environment. This global food economy is dependent on industrial farms that produce efficient crops like maize, soybean, and grains. These industrial farms are highly subsidized. They make use of genetic modification seed homogenization, mechanized planting, fertilizers, and pesticides, which enable for more efficient farming, but they also have devastating environmental repercussions. For instance, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations records food wastage in the world at 33%, with little over half of that occurring at the level of agricultural production and storage, a number that if more responsibly managed would halt deforestation for agricultural production in the Amazon rainforest altogether. The Chicago Metro Agency for Planning, which I believe they were the ones to adopt the Go To 2040 plan that led to some initiatives that led, you know, this is a domino effect, right? That ultimately led to farms like Radical Root becoming Mm -hmm. a reality. Uh, They said that uh, when they started the plan in 2010, only 8 to 9% of the farms surrounding Chicago actually produced vegetables that we eat. Mm-hmm. The rest of it was all, as you said, uh, corn and, and soybean for uh, industrial purposes. And, and I didn't know that. You know, As yeah. I left the city of Chicago, as I drive back home to Florida, for instance, mm-hmm. I, I look at the farms around me and think, oh, wow, we have so many farms. We're right. doing so well. Right. <laughs> and really, that, that just is, is a blind spot, I yeah, think. Yeah, right. Right. Now, that being said, it's very real that, as you mentioned, it's difficult to get land. 
it's difficult to convert land. I believe this farm had to be converted, right? Right. Mm -hmm. How do we replicate this model? Yeah, so I think that, well, first of all, an organization like Liberty Prairie Foundation is great. And I think that when we first, you know, 10 years ago, they were one of the few, uh, what they're called incubator farms, is because they're, they can't incubate the businesses that they rent to. And I think those are becoming, the incubator farms are becoming more prolific, I think, which is really good. I think that's the first step, just being able to grow these small businesses um, because, yeah, Liberty Prairie Foundation is so support, has been so supportive of us and it's been wonderful. And then after that, I think the land access part is just so important. And I think that there is kind of like a... Sometimes there's like a disconnect with there's there has to be some land access in some way, whether it's like a charitable nonprofit that's willing to that really wants to support a farming business and they want to they want to provide support and create this land access and then have the ability to grow on, you know, grow on it and have um, your business come in. And just like, yeah, this means the support in that way. So, I mean, I, I think that right now it, it, it is it's such an uphill battle because the to actually be able to buy land is, is so hard. So, so really getting someone maybe else to invest in that and, you know, if you can get some sort of investors or, you know, a nonprofit to purchase it and you rent from them. And, and yeah, as long as it's just, it's there. And as long as they're not thinking of it as I'm renting to a corn and soybean farmer, because the corn and soybean farmers, they get government subsidies. It's a much different, it's just a whole different operations. So it sounds like there are two important goals, the preservation of land surrounding or purchase of land surrounding the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about the alternative in terms of churches or even communities building community farms in the city? Right. That's another great, yeah, that's, that's another really great. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll even like look around and I'll see like a church for instance, or something where I see like a ton of like a swath of huge lawn and I'll think, wow, they can grow so much food on that. So I mean, for me, for my lens, I feel like I'm always kind of looking at different areas where, I mean, even my, my parents have a very small lawn, but I'm, I'm thinking like, they don't mean, they, they shouldn't even have that lawn. They should just grow food on that lawn. So, I mean, I, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm just always thinking like lawns are (laughs) pointless. You know, you should just, you should just, yeah, growing food as much as, you know, different areas as you can and being as creative as you can, I think is great well and that cultivation does more than just provide food right it gives you beauty it provides back to the environment oh yeah this is a whole system exactly yes yes exactly and that's what we concentrate on out there is you know we're growing food and every year we get a little more a little more in the direction of permaculture so we're also planting like i planted um sort of a beneficial insect garden that's sort of like it's sort of dotted around our food forest area yeah and that just creates habitat and we've seen we've seen more monarch butterflies this year than we've ever seen we've seen we see lots of different varieties of of dragonflies and so yeah as, as much as we think of ourselves as part of the ecosystem rather than these like dominant you know creatures that are just supposed to dominate everything i think that's that's really the first step is that yeah we need to think of ourselves as like part of this you know, beautiful world rather than 
you know, people that just want to control things and yeah. have it our way. So yeah, a more lateral relationship, a, a more union yeah. than than dominance for sure, right. or conquer, conquest. Right, right. Yeah. Americans don't tend to think of land that way. Uh, yes, right. Yes, and that's definitely a problem <laughs> because I think that yeah, the it's just a not a very healthy way to to live. There's a lot to think through in terms of farming and its relationship to the city. There's a political side of this, Mm -hmm. an economic side to it, a cultural side. Uh, As we think about some of those pieces and where we are in our calendar year, right, we are heading towards Thanksgiving. How can people, right, the the local person, just the person in the city, think differently about the food that they plan to consume as they head towards things like Thanksgiving? Right. Yeah. So what I tell people is that... Like the best, you know, the best thing to do in terms of that is to really, you know, look up your local farmer. Um, if you go to like a website like localharvest.com and type in your zip code, a lot of times they'll have, you know, a market that's that's close to you that has like um, different local or organic farmers and not just vegetables, but also meats and uh, turkey, for instance, for Thanksgiving, like not getting them from a factory farm is really ideal. So getting them from a local, uh, ideally organic minded farmer. And there's lots, uh, luckily there's in this area, there are lots, we're doing a drop off with a farm that's all grass fed meats, but there are lots of farms that do the same thing. So if you just like look up the small, the smaller farm that then a lot of times they have like pickups at different areas. So yeah, that's another thing shopping at a food co-op. It's also really, it's great just to keep the money in that local economy. And also food co-ops are great about supporting local farms. Like Dill Pickle Food Co-op is great about supporting us and other farmers. So yeah, just, just really being conscious of uh, where the food was grown, um, how it was raised is really, I think, important rather than just going to like any big box grocery store and just picking up anything and not really thinking about because because more than likely it's come from a really terrible place and that's created a lot of suffering within, you know, either the land or that animal or even the workers that are the labor workers that a lot of times they're not paid very well and things like that so yeah just really being conscious of like knowing exactly where this came from is I think really important and and really I think that's the only way that things are going to ever change is with the with people and with education and with people just realizing these things yeah the big box grocery store like you mentioned sterilizes the whole experience yeah it removes the even the question it, it sort of evaporates the fact that this meat was an animal and it's connected to someone right. in some place and and we lose our sense of place our sense of time we don't think about harvest seasons if i want a pineapple i want to go get a pineapple i go to the big box grocery store and get one i don't think about whether or not that was grown here right. if it can be or again we lose our sense of time and rhythm right, right. so you talked a little bit about reconnecting the community to the farmer and reconnecting us to those rhythms and to those places, right? And one of the ways that Radical Root does that is through a CSA. Can you tell us what is a CSA and how does yours work? Yeah, so CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. What it basically is, is a box subscription. So whatever is ready to be harvested that week, it'll be ready to be, it'll be harvested and then boxed for someone to pick up. So it's a pre- 
bought subscription. So people pay the whole season up front. And initially it was really, it's really been to get that farmer to be able to have a jump start on the season. So there's a lot of startup costs in regards to starting a season. There's, you know, there's seeds to buy, there's compost, there's, you know, new tools that they are broken, they need to be replaced, things like that. So there's a lot of startup costs that the farmer needs to absorb. So the CSA at front money allows them to take that worry off. So, so yeah, that's, we've always kind of said that's been the sort of the backbone of our business is the CSA. And then what the, what the uh, consumer gets is they get a box of vegetables. A lot of times it's stuff that maybe they wouldn't ordinarily, get. Not, not all, I mean, it's like there's staples in there, but there's also maybe some different kind of heirloom vegetables that are sort of different and so it's sort of like a fun way to, to experiment with new foods. Um, what would be one of those unique ones? Yeah, yeah. Or what would be one like, uh, I mean, I guess it, like something like kohlrabi, which like not everyone is familiar with. And we still get lots of questions at market. What What is this? So um, that will be in a CSA box or celeriac. Yeah, we had a few vegetables that... We try to grow things that, that kind of new things every year too. So we'll try to keep it interesting with like different varieties and things like that. So, and what it also does is kind of gives, what I tell people is that we'll, we kind of grow the sort of like rainbow of vegetables out there, which if you eat like a rainbow of vegetables, it's really getting all the nutrients that your body needs. So getting that array of nutrients in one box is kind of um, nice, I think, for, for people and for families and couples or single people or anyone so and we also provide a newsletter that kind of gives recipes or helpful hints if you're not familiar with certain things or you just don't you're not used to cooking a lot you know a lot of people they're used to cooking once in a while and they get a lot of takeout but with the csa we're really encouraging and with our farm stand too we're really encouraging people to cook more at home it's really the healthiest way to be um and then cook with a variety of different vegetables and grass-fed meats and things like that and to learn yeah yeah and to learn and just yeah and it's it just it's yeah it's a much healthier way to to be i think so so you have a hundred members in your csa is that the right number yes we have um about it's roughly about a hundred yeah so yeah right now we're in our fall season so it's a little less we always let a little bit less in for the fall okay who's a member of the csa who do you normally pull in so it's it's really different every, I mean, a lot of times we'll, it's, it's really good for um, a family that, that already, you know, say they want to cook at home more or they already cook at home a lot, um, like a small family. And then, and then uh, we'll say, we'll tell people if you're a couple and you want to, and you want to cook more, you already cook a lot or you're used to eating a lot of vegetables. We'll tell people that if, you know, sometimes the CSA is not for everyone. So if you're not, if you don't really think you're going to eat a lot of vegetables, then that might not be the best thing for you. But if you're trying to get more vegetables in your diet, that's also something that um, to think about. And we'll have some single people who do half shares. That's every other week. But we, I mean, we have a couple of single people that do do a full share. So they're probably really devoted to. <laughs> they're committed yeah, they're, to getting yeah. their, their veggies in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you get a lot of people from the city or is it more from Libertyville? So this year we've we have um we kind of done different things every year um this year we've we kind of just stuck to our local uh drop off so um we have people coming from 
the furthest away maybe is like half an hour or so but it's all local peoples too so um yeah it just have, has depended on where we do our drop-offs every year so yeah and you are connected to things like the co-op dill right. pickle that you mentioned yes. which is in the city yeah those kind of things yeah so we yeah. do wholesale still with dill pickle food co-op and uh yeah they're they've been great and really supportive of us and other farmers so and we're hoping to do more wholesale this next year with them and maybe other co-ops one of the greatest benefits that i've at least seen as i've been getting to know this entire new world for me has been the educational piece of the csa just being able to say i know my farmer right i can ask the farmer what is this vegetable how do i cook it you know what recipes does it go with those kinds of things one of the things that the CMAP, I mentioned them earlier, they, they created the Go To 2040 plan and are really trying to restore and preserve land for the sake of creating more local organic food. One of the goals that they mentioned wasn't just creating sustainable food, but also was increasing awareness. How do you envision increasing awareness and teaching the importance of a CSA and really connecting the city to its farms? Right. Yeah. So that's something that's I feel like has been a big mission for us. So we have been doing different things every year, but we've, we've been giving, um, we try to give a lot of tours for, and that kind of allows people to, we give a tour out here to a, a group, a scheduled group, or we've been giving public tours every last Saturday here at the farm. And basically it allows people to sort of um, see how their food is grown here and can talk about like the different environmental practices we have. And it also kind of allows people to just to realize things. There's a lot of, wow, I never realized that that was the case. And I think sometimes when you're a farmer, you kind of like lose, you don't even, you don't realize what people don't know. So it's been really good just to be able to provide that education. And I think that so much more education needs to happen because a lot of times people, if they see um, a cornfield or soybean field, you know, they don't know exactly what they're looking at. So they don't really understand all that goes on and why it's such a problem. They just think maybe it's pretty or, you know, it looks very neat and tidy and, you know, things like that. So I think that the more education that goes on about food and just land and soil and, you know, the environment is really key. Yeah, there are two details that I learned as I was trying to get educated. Uh, one was that farmers are getting a lot older. Mm-hmm. And so this is becoming a, a very difficult uh, discipline to take on or, or kind of work to enter into. How do we inspire more people to become farmers? People yeah. like you and Alex. So what I would say, and this is what I've been kind of trying to tell people too, is that I don't think that there's a lack of interest in farming. I think a lot of people, they feel called to the land. I think that's what we felt. We felt like this is kind of a calling for us. I think the problem really is that they can't make it financially. Like it's, it's so hard to, I mean, every year even where we look at our records and think, wow, we don't have any, I mean, we just don't have very much money. So it's just, it's hard to keep going with something when you can see that you just, it's just so hard to make money at it. So I think affordability is really the the problem. And I think I, because I always read that too. I always read like, oh, you know, the, the average farmer is 54 or whatever it is. And, and I just keep thinking like, well, there are young people that want to farm. They just can't afford to do it. So um, we know, I mean, a lot of our friends that we started farming with that were, that were CSAs and farms just like ours, are no longer farming anymore. They've just ended their business. They've just wow. decided we can't afford to do this anymore. And I mean, we know 
you know, so many people like that. So, I mean, it's a lot of people, you know, I think are, I think it's, it's interesting that we're still farming because we have a lot of the same issues too. But I mean, even us, I mean, we, we can see how every year we're thinking, you know, maybe this, this is a really hard thing to, to keep doing. So, I mean, I think that we've kind of, we've kind of just started to be a little bit profitable, but it, at the same time, I think it's still, it's, it's not something that we're probably ever going to be super duper crazy profitable at. So, so yeah, something, that, I mean, I think that's, that's why every year we've kind of like kind of adjusted things of like, maybe we should do this this year or try this this year and then see how that works and some things work and some things don't. And so I think every year we've just kind of like played around with that. Yeah. It's remarkable that the farm has continued. You're at your 10 year mark. You're coming close to it. Yeah. The second detail that I wanted to ask about, the other thing that I learned was that 9% of the Chicagoland region, according to CMAP, 9% of them live still in food deserts. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about that access piece. Right? Yeah. You had mentioned it earlier that Radical Root is really committed to the access piece. The impression in the city, particularly among, I'll speak for myself, the Latinos in Humble Park, is that eating organic is just way too expensive. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about how you envision addressing that problem and, and really getting food to those under-resourced, underprivileged areas of the Chicagoland region, because there's also some suburbs that are like that. And that's something that we've sort of grappled with every year, too, because I think there's this pull that we feel really needing to do something more on the access end but at the same time it's hard for a farm that's not making very much money to do a lot of it of that so what we have been doing every monday we do a big drop off at the food pantry we get all of our seconds basically and gather them and a bunch of boxes and the local food pantry here comes and picks them up and we're trying to work with other projects. So one of our things that we're, we've been sort of trying to do is rent more land around us. And it's been a big struggle. So an idea that actually Liberty Prairie Foundation, um, Brad Lebaugh from Liberty Prairie Foundation came up with that we were really excited about is to rent land next to us part and get sort of like a some sort of contract where we were supplying um, a nearby food desert. We have... We live near Waukegan, which is, there's um, several areas that are really uh, food insecure. So that was sort of something we were really excited about getting. If we get that access, then we could like have this contract and just grow for that. And there was just a lot of talk with the landowners and they just didn't, ultimately they didn't want to run to us. So yeah, it's been definitely an issue with that we're still trying to like figure out how to do, because we desperately want to do more on that end well it's part of the call like you mentioned earlier yeah. it's, it's part of your interest in really changing the system the food right. system as a whole that global efficiency first speed and consumption right it's really not working and so this this transition back to a local connected interconnected yeah. way of doing farming and and food really will benefit us all yeah right yeah Allison, thanks so much i want to ask you one last time is there anything that we missed that you want people to know and make sure they're aware of um, just to support your local organically minded farmers, really the, you know, I think just, just purchasing from them, your, your, your vote counts, your dollars count and yeah, voting too. <laughs> just be able to vote because a lot of the food policies and environmental policies depend on our uh, leaders 
as well. So yeah. yeah. And you had mentioned the website earlier that could connect people to their local farmer. What was that again? So that yeah. So it? it's uh, localharvest.org. Um, and you just type in your zip code and they let you know where what's nearby. Great. Allison, thanks so much. This has been the World Outspoken feature. Really grateful for you to be here. And I think we're about to go on a tour that we'll also share with the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. For more features like this, please visit worldoutspoken.com and sign up for our mailing list. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at worldoutspoken and like us on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into this feature. I'm Tom Walker for World Outspoken. 